Welcome to the discussion, bringing small business into the defense world, sponsored by ProPricer. Here's today's moderator, Scott Malcioni. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Weaver. He's the Director of Operations at ProPricer. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. It's good to be here. So, you know, we're talking a lot about innovation within DOD. I think back to Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel is when DOD really started making this push toward near-peer competition, rethinking how they're doing acquisition in the sense of what they're buying. Uh, what's the Defense Department looking for these days in 2021, and what are they going to be looking for in their future strategies? Well, uh, that's a pretty broad topic. Um, for you know, the simple answer for me when it comes to innovation is really it's it's about updating all of the entire process. So whether that's technology that's used, the technology that's created, what processes are involved in purchasing of those goods and services, uh, you know, everything's geared towards making the warfighter more effective. For me, I'm going to start by tackling just kind of a small chunk of what the DOD could or should be looking for. I work at a veteran-owned small business, and our focus there is the proposal pricing process. So we work with contractors to aggregate their estimates and price them up. We slice and dice that data to determine where they can make changes and allow them to perform some sort of analysis to help them become a little bit more competitive. And then getting that proposal, proposal submitted to an agency for review, then negotiation and award, and all of the things that go into the government side of it from creating the IGCE and working with contractors you know, to determine what those pricing and rates should be. You know, there's so many steps before and after that process that are definitely outside my area of expertise. Um, so I don't know if we really need to go into all of that. I'm gonna to try to speak basically on what it comes to, or you know, what I feel about the proposal process and where you know, I kind of get that background from is that I have the opportunity to work with government agencies and their contractors as an outside observer. So as a software vendor, we get to come in and sort of listen to the pain points that they have and really focus on empathizing with the end user. You know, we've been doing that with the contracting side of the house for over 30 years and from the government side for 10 or 12 years at least where we get to go through and sit with you know program offices and listen to how they do their evaluations their cost analysis the technical evaluations how they're pricing up the igce and how they get the data flow moving back and forth from contractor to government and just trying to streamline that process uh, is going to require new technological methods. It's going to require shortening the proposal cycle by creating a way to streamline the input and submission of those proposal processes and making it easy for that data send to go back and forth for the negotiations process. So one of the things the Defense Department is trying to do to bring in that innovation that you were talking about is talking more to small businesses and lowering the barrier of entry for those small businesses. Um, you know, how can changing the way that, that proposals are brought in uh, how the Defense Department can uh, reach out to, to them by revamping, as you were saying, this sort of acquisition process and, and bring these small businesses in to provide some of that innovation and, and new ideas that they might not get from Lockheed Martin or Raytheon. Well, you know, I think about sort of the cycles that technology has gone through and how this really helps the small business now. You know, when you think back to the mainframe and its heydays, the, the type of companies that could purchase or afford that type of equipment were gonna be large contractors or large companies that had a lot of capital to spend. And they would go in and purchase all of that equipment. They would 
you know, fill up their staff and they would put it on their profit and loss statement as a capital expense, tracking depreciation, all of that stuff. And it was really cost prohibitive for somebody like a small business to be able to go in and afford that and to be able to compete for even some of the larger contracts. As that technology has sort of shifted, you know, we saw personal computing come in and sort of level the playing field for everybody to have access to the same side of same type of hardware, whether that was, you know, to the same scale as a large company, probably not, you know, but everybody had a personal computer and was able to do the same type of work. And then we moved into virtualization. So moving from terminal server and RDP over to Citrix, where we're kind of looking at a mainframe all over again, your, your end user PC is now just a terminal for doing the input. The next step that we've seen is the movement to the cloud and where the cloud helps especially in the case of a small business is that it again levels that playing field so that everybody has access to the same software. Somebody from a small business has the same capability, the same tools, the same toolkit to be able to go in and competitively win proposals and use all of the tools that are available to them and large customers or large contractors and companies are less likely to go that route. You know, they spend a great deal of money trying to invest in their infrastructure and build up their internal network for security and hardening and all of the hardware and software costs that they put in. It's almost, you know, I don't want to say good money after bad, but it has been a major investment on their part and just pulling, you know, the trigger and getting rid of all of that stuff can be very cost prohibitive. So with the low startup costs, with the you know, ability for a small business to do with almost no investment, go right into a cloud tool that allows them to have the same you know, calculations, the same functionality, the same capability as some of those larger contractors actually makes them a little bit more effective. Where I think that's beneficial is on how much money the DOD is actually spending on small businesses. You know, when we start looking at the portion of businesses that are small businesses that, that are getting funding from the DOD. Over the last 10 years or so, small businesses are account for about 25% of prime contracts and almost 40% of subcontractor contracts. So that's a lot of money going to these small businesses. So making sure that they have the same sort of tools and especially when you add in HubZone and um, disabled veteran-owned small business, women-owned small business, um, the, you know, the numbers of not only percentage of DOD contracts, but the dollar values that are going to these small businesses, anything that we can do to make them more competitive and give them a shot, I think is just value add. Michael, could you tell us about how the Defense Department is trying to reach out to these small businesses, maybe in ways that they weren't in the past, any sort of uh, organizations they may have or programs, and then also how are small businesses trying to reach to DOD that in ways maybe they didn't in the past as well? I think that the introduction of things like uh, SBIR and STTR is a great way to sort of take research and development and take it out of some of those big companies and big labs and move them into a little bit more of a, an agile environment where small businesses are likely to uh, have a, a faster opportunity to pivot and change. And when you see that many of these SBIR proposals are not far required, it makes a, a small business much more likely to be able to submit and win a proposal that helps keep those numbers up for the DOD. So when you're talking about the, you know, the number of proposal percentages or dollars that are being awarded to small businesses, the women-owned small business, small disadvantaged business, service-disabled veteran-owned small business, which we have a lot of those springing up, and even HubZone, 
you know, those percentages are our goal to get even higher over the next 10 years because it gives everybody an opportunity to submit proposals on that level playing field. When it, when it comes to the way that DOD reaches out to them, I think that the cloud has helped there a little bit too um, because now we have websites where you can go in and publish all of your proposal information, especially on SBIR, SBIR sites um, where each of the agencies can put out a page that allows you to go in as a small business and submit you know, what your overhead or your G&A percentage is, being able to answer all of your proposal cover sheet questions and, and add your technical volume. It really makes it easy for any of those companies to see what that process is like and to be able to submit proposals a little bit more effectively. And we're also seeing some things like uh, pitch days and hackathons as well, too. That kind of brings in people, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we've started to see, or at least that I've started to see a little bit more of over the last couple of years, is pilot programs. Um, for us, when we thought about getting into the government ind industry or government agencies, it was really one of those things where you thought you had to go in at the top and work your way down. And it, it just became a bureaucratic nightmare. It's really hard to get, you know, a software platform or any of your goods and services at the top of an agency. So working with a pilot group, a group that focuses on innovation and works towards, you know, getting new products or new materials out quicker, uh, quicker with a smaller startup or investment makes it prime for an agile small business to be able to go in. And whether they find out about those on pitch days, you know, we, we see kind of like the government version of Shark Tank, where you can go in and get a yes or no and get some initial funding right there. I think that's great for SBIRs to be able to say, you know, there are initial funding levels and we can say, stop, if it's not going to work, we're gonna do some R&D. And if we can make this work, that's great. We'll move on to the next phase, you know, phase two and see if we can go from there. But, you know, it, it gives everybody a, a fair chance. It gives everybody an opportunity to go in and prove that their technology or that their product is the right way to go and helps it get rolled out quicker. I think it's a really cool concept. Let's delve in a little bit more to pricing in general. It's something that your company has an expertise in. Um, how is DOD pricing for acquisition? It might be a little bit of an enigma for some people. And, and why does it need companies like yours to help change the way that it's doing that? Well, uh, so there's a couple of answers to that question. Um, I'll start by saying that one of the areas that really interests me right now is OTAs or the other transactional authority. You know, for years and years, we've prided ourselves on being, you know, one of those software vendors that can provide outputs that are FAR and CAS compliant. But with OTAs, that sort of goes away. You know, those proposals can be awarded in under a month. You're lessening a lot of the bureaucracy that takes place during the proposal award process and even the audit. And, you know, it makes it easier for people to come up with that number and submit it. That doesn't mean that that number is always going to be correct. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of the FAR. And for me, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially when you're thinking of like large programs. So weapon systems and aircraft, you know, the big ticket items, wrapping your mind around the total hours and all the costs and everything that's included in that. Misestimating or misquoting uh, even something as small as half a percent on a proposal that's going to be in the trillion dollar range or hundreds of billions of dollars range. We're still talking about millions or billions of dollars that could be misspent or misclassified. So from the small business perspective, even if you're going through those OTAs where you don't have to be FAR compliant, one of the ways we can really help is to create a standardized process for you. You may not need to be FAR compliant, but you still need to have great insight into what you're doing. So being able to justify, even if it's just internally, what those numbers are to make yourself more competitive, that just makes sense for me. But we always tell our small businesses when we sit down with them that you know we do help standardize that process. 
We eliminate formula errors. You know, you're not just copying a sheet that you've worked on before that may have embedded issues or fat fingering on numbers that you don't find until likely when you're getting audited. Um, that there's a, a key advantage to having a permissions-based system that says, here are the users that can have access to the system. Here's what they can do inside of that system. You know, when you look at either a homegrown tool or Excel, you're likely to be able to see, especially in an Excel file, where anybody can go in and make any change any place in the document. So even creating new acquisition methodologies like OTAs, the benefit of using a pricing software still makes a lot of sense because you can hot swap your pricers in. You don't have to worry about what type of program they worked on before. All of the you know, resources for your labor categories are predefined. Your rates are set up and reusable. You've got that one-to-many relationship that allows you to update your rates as they come in and reuse them as many times as possible. It, it just makes it easier for them to go in and knock proposals out faster, spend time doing the estimating, getting that part right and doing the analysis, trusting that the numbers are right, and then submitting it knowing that you're going to be more competitive because you were able to do the analysis rather than making sure that your formulas were right. We're going to take a quick break. My guest today is Michael Weaver. He's the Director of Operations at ProPricer. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to the discussion Bringing Small Business into the Defense World, sponsored by ProPricer on Federal News Network. Procurement is changing. So should your software. With ProPricer's database pricing solution, Excel spreadsheets become a thing of the past. Procurement time can drop from months to weeks. Used by the top 10 U.S. defense contractors, ProPricer continues to innovate and meet industry requirements while keeping a level of flexibility that allows each customer to effectively price in their own way. ProPricer, the number one pricing and cost analysis software. Learn more at ProPricer.com. Welcome back to the discussion bringing small business into the defense world sponsored by ProPricer on Federal News Network. My guest today is Michael Weaver. He's the director of operations at ProPricer and I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So, Michael, we were talking about pricing earlier, the importance of accurate pricing. Uh, what kind of strategies can companies use when they're pricing their bids, when they're trying to decide what they want to quote the government? Uh, and, and, you know, so is it better sometimes to go a little lower to, to work with your competition and maybe outbid them a bit? Um, is, is it all about accuracy? Where would you, you know, kind of consult with companies and help them out on, in those sorts of th- ways? Well, the, the risk involved with going a little bit over or going a little bit under uh, is, is definitely there. It really depends on the contract type. So if you're restricted in saying, hey, we're going to do it for this cost and that's what it's going to be, if you, if you underbid by too much, you could really hurt your profitability there. And so you, know, you may win a contract that you really don't want to win because you've put the wrong numbers in place. Where I think that it really helps is having really good coordination between the estimating and pricing teams. You know, a lot of times that they're at odds with each other, you know, the estimating team does things a certain way and they've got to get it to pricing for them to go in and be able to build up and find that things are, you know, priced right or that the statements of work and the basis of estimate and all of that's undergone the peer review and the, and the proposal review. So getting those teams to work together, I think is really important. But a step above that, or beyond that, I think is it's really important to understand how your rates work. You know, a lot of times, especially in the small business world, we've had customers that have come in and said, well, you know, what should I use for an overhead rate? And that's not really something that anybody can tell you other than the people that you have working in your finance group. 
And so as you start hitting that threshold where you have to start disclosing those numbers and you get audited, you want to make sure that you're not being kicked back or that you're not getting any challenges put against you because you can't justify any of your, num you know, your overhead rate or your GNA rate or any of your unrecovered costs and how you've allocated those into your proposal. You know, it's really important to make sure that the, the garbage in, garbage out, right? It's really important to make sure that you've got the ability to justify what the numbers are, whether they come from the estimating group and that your subject matter experts really know what they're talking about. And that can be hard to do when it comes to things like new technology or new materials that are being used. Uh, you may have new types of jigs or tooling that you have to accommodate that you've never done before. And so it makes it really hard to get an accurate cost when you're doing new business. So having faith in the fact that your numbers are correct and that you've got the right people in place to help you get there is, is going to help you go a long way with getting the right numbers and not worrying about strategies as far as should I underbid or should I overbid? It's more about can I get the right bid in? And if we do our job right, then we're going to be more competitive. It sounds like a lot of self-awareness, honestly. Like if you yeah. are aware of your company and what you're doing, that's, that's the best way to go about it, right? Right. And you know, know what your capabilities are really, you know, making sure that you're actually spending time doing the numbers and making sure that they're all right so that there aren't any hidden costs or things that you didn't account for. And really doing the job well in the beginning makes it easier. And, you know, if there's something wrong, then when you get into the negotiations and you're working with the agency, it, it's great to just be upfront, you know, that the combative relationship that sometimes exists between contractors and agencies is something that could really go away just with a couple of human conversations and saying, you know, hey, we screwed up here or, you know, this is something that we can fix or that we can address and, and really sharing and working through the negotiation process with a collaborative environment rather than it being, you know, combative and us saying it's us versus you sitting down and working with the agency or working with the contractor to make sure that you really are what, doing what's best for, you know, the warfighter and the taxpayer. I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, how DOD is trying to become a better buyer and work with companies in, in the ways that you talked about uh, the Defense Department has a huge market and demand right now for working with commercial companies that already have products that are out there. There's agencies like AFWorks and DUI that are trying to, um, you know, use things like you were talking about OTAs and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, what sort of strategies are they using? How well do you think that those are working? And, and um, was you just, would you suggest working with them as well? I think... I would absolutely work with them. You know, we're, we're actively trying to work with more and more of them. So I, I, would, I would say that everyone should be trying to work with the government agency. You know, it, it helps us to create better products and to be more innovative in our approach. You know, going back to that technologies created and technologies used by providing the expertise that we're spending a lot of money on developing new and innovative technologies and by incorporating those into the goods and services that the government buys, I think that's just helpful for everybody. And I'd certainly want to be a part of it. I would hope that a lot of those small businesses would want to be too. I would say that it's a lot easier to be a commercial company and just say, here's what my off the shelf price is. You know, there's, there's no discounts or I can come up with whatever discount that I want. And that there's a lot more rules involved when dealing with government contracting. I think that the OTAs and the SBIRs are a great way of the government understanding that that's the case and trying to streamline that and make it easier for those small businesses who've never had to deal with that level of granularity or detail before and saying, is there a product out there that somebody else could do? Is there, is there a product out there that somebody else already does? Can two or more people do this? You know, where should this be competitive and where shouldn't it be? 
where should we just be able to go and look off the shelf and say, hey, you know, the, the market has determined what that price is and we're willing to spend that money and get it because it saves us time from competing and getting all of this RFP put together. You know, there's a COTS product that we can just purchase off the shelf. You know, I think it's great when we have the ability to cut a lot of that red tape out of the way and just say, that product works, it's great, let's buy it and let's move on, let's just move on. Um, you know, acquisition has changed a lot in the past probably eight to five years. Uh, we've seen tons of reforms coming from Congress and, and as you, we've talked about the expansion of OTAs. How do you think acquisition is going to be changing in the future in the next couple of years? Um, and how's the Defense Department trying to be a better buyer in that way? Well, I'd like to see a little bit more artificial intelligence involved. So, you know, the this, this speed at which AI can go in and monitor these transactions and try to help you find, you know, details where you may have missed or just the ability to go in and have something run sort of on autopilot that's always learning, I think is a great way that we can change acquisition in the future. A couple of things that I would like to do is to create more of a centralized data source. It was actually on a panel that we did with FNN a couple of years ago, where we sat down with a lot of program officers and contract officers and administration to kind of listen to what the pain points are that they, that they really had. And some of the stories that they told were, were kind of eye-opening for me sitting in the room. And we were talking about, hey, we may have purchased something like this before and we may have gotten a better price on it this time, but we still don't know if we're getting a good price compared to anyone else that's purchased it or something like it in the past. Being able to share that data or as a contractor submits a set of four pricing rate agreements to you know, an agency, having DCMA being able to share that information a little bit more effectively and quicker, or even allowing different agencies to pool together and buy at higher values. So if two or more agencies can pool together or even within an agency to be able to go across all of their agency and say, who else needs this? And let's make sure that we all buy it at the same time is a great way to get a better price on the types of goods and services that they use. So I hope that there's a little bit more of a centralized platform. You know, I think that CBAR was, was a good start, but I think that there's a lot of room to improve for being able to go in and see what other people paid for things. And I think it would be great to be a part of that, to be able to go in and build an application that sits there and monitors you know, all of the buying and spending that the government does for them to share with each other, um, you know, controlled of course, and to allow them to be able to say, hey, who else needs to buy this widget or who else needs to buy this tank or aircraft and pulling together those resources and seeing what everybody's spending will help everybody get a better deal. So you talked about how creating some sort of repository for good data about pricing uh, can really help the Defense Department. Uh, would that be a win-win situation in the sense that it could help the Defense Department save money while also helping uh, these companies maybe make better profits or give the Defense Department what it needs better? Well, it's definitely gonna be a win for the government because especially when it comes to generating the IGCEs, being able to go in and say, okay, if we're gonna let this RFP out and we wanna know how much something is gonna cost, can we base it on any work that's already been previously performed? Or can we take bits and pieces of other projects and sort of allow our, you know, our technical evaluators to go in or the people that are building that IGCE up and say, hey, we think we know what the number of hours or the type of people that should be doing this work are and giving them access to more and more information and being able to catalog that in a way where they're not just looking for that information and having it be readily available. This is where I think the AI you know, comes in handy. 
is that as you start writing an RFP, wouldn't it be great if it says, oh, by the way, somebody else did something just like this. It's within 90% of the criteria that you're writing or some of the CLINs or WBS structures match. I think that's very beneficial for the government to be able to say, okay, let me use some of these bits and pieces of this and factor things up or down or make adjustments to it so that our IGC is a little bit more effective and it helps us you know, do a little bit better on the, on the buying side. From the contractor side, they probably hate me for saying everything that I just said, you know, giving the government the power to say, I know that we're not getting a good deal, but I would hope that their commitment would be to being competitive, knowing that other companies out there, especially the small businesses coming up in the world and, and being able to do more and more of the level of effort on a proposal, I would hope that those contractors would want to be more competitive and doing what it takes to compete with all of the other companies that were going to be doing the same thing because somebody's always going to try to undercut you. Somebody's always going to try to do it less. We want you to get the right thing done for the right price rather than sacrificing one for the other. We've got about 90 seconds left and I wanted to ask something about the supply chain. Uh, it's something that's been affecting the way that, that companies have to work uh, considering the United States is looking for different ways to supply, uh, supply certain materials and then also uh, that certain materials are just not as available. Uh, how has that affected businesses, especially during this COVID environment? Well, COVID has had a pretty crazy impact on, on everyone. It's not just about supply chain, but I don't think we have the time to get into that. Um, we've seen some goods and services actually really increase in price, you know, just from a personal perspective. I can think about going to Home Depot or Lowe's and taking a look at the price of lumber and seeing that the demand is so high for it, that the prices are skyrocketing. And I think that the same thing is holding true to some of the goods and services that the government is buying. So it means even more diligence is needed when it comes to creating a competitive price, making sure that you're not sacrificing your profit for charging less for the materials and you're going to be you know, paying for yourself and making sure that the government isn't being overcharged just because the cost of those goods and services is going up. So it's gonna take a lot more coordination than uh, I think we've ever had to deal with before. And I'm hoping that the innovation that the DOD is putting out there really helps us all uh, spend our tax dollars a little bit more effectively. Well, Michael, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, it was great getting a chance to talk to you. Thank you. Michael Weaver is the Director of Operations at ProPricer and I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. You're listening to Federal News Network for more on the discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ProPricer. Thank you for listening to the discussion, bringing small business into the defense world, sponsored by ProPricer on Federal News Network. Procurement is changing, so should your software. With ProPricer's database pricing solution, Excel spreadsheets become a thing of the past. Procurement time can drop from months to weeks. Used by the top 10 U.S. defense contractors, ProPricer continues to innovate and meet industry requirements while keeping a level of flexibility that allows each customer to effectively price in their own way. ProPricer, the number one pricing and cost analysis software. Learn more at ProPricer.com. Hi. I'm Mike Richmond of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs with this VA Research Nugget. Did you know that VA researchers invented the first clinically successful cardiac pacemaker? In 1958, Dr. William Chardak of the VA Hospital in Buffalo teamed up with engineers to test an early model of their device. 
basically an electrode attached to a pulse generator. They refined the design of the unit and in 1960 implanted pacemakers into a 77-year-old man who lived for 10 months. That year, they implanted pacemakers into nine other patients, some of whom lived for over 20 years. The design was the first implanted pacemaker to be commercially produced. Implanted cardiac pacemakers prevent life-threatening complications from irregular heartbeats. To learn more about VA research, go to research.va.gov. That's research.va.gov. I'm Mike Richmond.